Good, wasn't it? Good job, Noah. Great song. Uh, take your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, while you're turning, let me say, and I'll say again on Sunday publicly, uh, thank you for the day on Sunday as we celebrated our 10-year anniversary here. I know there was a lot of uh, fanfare and secrets being held, and uh, I appreciate all of that. And uh, thank you for the cards and uh, many gifts and different things and uh, all the Starbucks gift cards. Thank you so much. Uh, they will be used. Uh, but uh, I appreciate all of the, the kind words and uh, just being here, being present. Uh, on Sunday. It was a special day, so thank you. And then the kids program Sunday night, man, our kids did an awesome job uh, Sunday night. And uh, if you were not able to be here in person, I hope that you'll go back and watch it on the live stream and uh, just see their accomplishment. Months and months and months of hard work. And I appreciate the team behind the scenes working, uh, trying to make sure that everybody uh, knew their cues and knew when to come in and knew when to oh, 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 and all that. Um, so just, I I was just getting tired watching them doing it, uh, but uh, they did a great job, so uh, appreciate all that. 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, 1 Samuel 24, we are looking forward to tomorrow night, uh, the open house at our home. We have 180 registered to come to our house tomorrow night, so please pray uh, for us, uh, and so we're excited about that, and uh, if you, you should have received an email this morning, or this afternoon rather, uh, with details and addresses and all that stuff if you registered, and and uh, if you were not able to register, you're not able to come this year, that's okay. We'll see you on Sunday. We look forward to that uh, as well. 1 Samuel 24, in the nick of time, remember our chapter last week, uh, Saul, excuse me, Saul was closing in on David. Uh, David was rescued by the Lord. Uh, the messenger that shows up and says, hey, you have to come right now. You've got to come home. You've got to uh, get back because uh, all of this is taking place and it's transpiring back home. The Philistines are coming and you've got to be here to lead and try and protect the nation as a whole and leave David in this pursuit. And Saul leaves and then David is left with these 600 men, these 600 just really peasants. Uh, just simpletons, and he, they are left there together. Now the, the Philistines were now under control, and they have everything taken care of. Saul goes back to his pursuit of David. Uh, just driven everything he did. Uh, a, a great book I read several years ago uh, talking about uh, how to manage whether you're called or driven and use this analogy. Uh, some of you remember the book Ordering Your Private World by uh, George MacDonald. Uh, just talking about are you a driven person or are you a called person? Because you see Saul and David, that battle, are you driven or are you called? And uh, We see that back and forth. But now that everything was taken care of, uh, Saul goes back on the hunt for David, making sure, trying to find him, hunting him down, uh, called him this uh, dead dog, trying to make sure that he was uh, taken care of. And Saul returns where he left off, hunting the future king of Israel. But as you study and you look at the story as it progresses, it, it reminds me of the New Testament in Acts chapter number 5. Remember when Peter and the apostles uh, were being imprisoned and they were being abused? And Gamaliel steps up in Acts chapter number 5 and verse 38 and 39. It says, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. Remember Gamaliel, who was the philosopher, the teacher of the apostle Paul, we'll find out later. But 
We see Gamaliel says, hey, let's just leave these guys alone and let time sort it all out. Let's see if this is truly a work of God or if it's just something that men are behind the scenes. If this is just something that's a cool idea, it's a fad, we would call it, like bell bottoms uh, back in the 70s that are now popular. Uh, it just all circles back around. I'm waiting for the double-breasted suit to come back, Brother, Brother Mike. Uh, I have a few of those. But uh, when we get to that point. But you think about Gamaliel steps up and says, it's a, if it's a fad, it'll fizzle out. And then he says this in verse 39, but if it be of God... You cannot overthrow it. If this is something that God wants to accomplish, there is no force that is going to stop it. And it says, Gamaliel, this lost man, this religious but lost man, says, lest happily he be found even to fight against God. If you want to fight against God and it makes you happy, go right ahead. But you will lose every single time. And that is the story of Saul and David. Saul has his own agenda. He is going to kill David. And we see just one chapter before, in chapter 23, verse 14, the end of the verse says, And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him out of his hand. He is fighting against God. He just doesn't realize it. He is so focused on getting David that he cannot see the fact that he's fighting against God's plan. And you ever felt like, man, I just keep fighting and fighting and fighting, and I don't ever win. I don't ever have that breakthrough. I don't ever, uh, I don't ever have that win, that uh, W in the victory column. It's always a loss. It's always I'm losing. It's always I can't ever seem to break through. What if God doesn't want you to? What if it's not intended for you to ever win? What if it's not God's purpose and plan for you to have that breakthrough? What if God is trying to teach you something through the struggle? What if that's the reason? And maybe you're trying to figure it out all on your own. Maybe the reason that you're not experiencing a breakthrough is because God doesn't want you to. Because if all of our problems went away, where would our faith be at that point? If we had no problems and this life was easy and it was just a, man, a piece of cake just to go to work and everybody loves Jesus and loves God and wants you to be there and wants to hear what happened on Sunday, wants to hear how God is blessing your home and your family and all these different things, how many people joined and how many people got bad, wouldn't that be wonderful? But if that was the case, we would have no faith at all. We wouldn't have a reason for it. We would have no reason to trust God in adversity If we always experienced breakthrough, if we always won, if everything was always wonderful, there'd be no reason for faith. So maybe you're fighting against something that God doesn't want you to win. We see, if you're taking notes, number one, you can write down the opportunity. The opportunity. Now look here at verse number one, chapter 24, as we go through this chapter. It says, and it came to pass... When Saul was returned from following the Philistines, it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Saul left David but kept him on the back burner, knowing, hey, I'm going back to that. I'm going back to that pursuit. Gets the word where he is. He's in En Gedi. And within striking distance, again, 
Uh, we looked at the map last week and uh, saw where they were located. We saw uh, that picture. and uh, We were in the wilderness of Maon over on the, near the bottom side of the map. And now David and his men are in En Gedi. They're in one of the caves. En Gedi is kind of a region that's very mountain. It's very rocky. And uh, En Gedi is full of caves. And this man, this servant, comes to Saul and says, Hey, we know exactly where David's holed up. We know where he is. We know where his men are. He's not that far away. And Saul and his men go out in hot pursuit. In verse number 2, Saul takes 3,000 chosen men, hand-selected warriors. Now, these are men who are not just guys who think it's cool to watch war movies. These are guys who are warriors. These are men who are good at fighting. And they went to seek David and his men. Remember, primarily, this was a pursuit against David. We don't care about anybody else as long as we get him. Now, it's we're going to stamp out everybody who is around David. Remember that fear that they had just one chapter before in verse 3 of chapter 23? David's men said, we're, we're afraid here in Judah. Hey, we don't want to go and fight the Philistines. We're already afraid just of Saul and his men. That fear is now becoming a reality in their lives. They had to accept the fact they were in just as much danger as David is. They're being faced with this. But imagine the greater fear that takes hold of them in verse number 3. And he, Saul, came to the sheep coats, by the way, those areas of mountainous terrain where you would find wild sheep, sheep coats, where shepherds would take their flocks. There, where was a cave? Now, I love the wording here. If you have King James, it's laid out this way. It says, they were in a cave. It says, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David his men returned in the sides of the cave. All right, so get the picture. At the beginning of the verse, it's just a random cave. But at the end of the verse, Saul is in the cave. Say, preacher, what, what does that have to do with anything? Saul is in the same cave. Saul has chosen the exact cave that David and his men are hiding in. That's why it's so important. It was just a random cave. Saul's like, hey, I need to break. and This is a royal bathroom break. That's all it is, okay? Uh, so covereth his feet. That's exactly what it means. You let your mind wander. But uh, that, he goes in for that purpose. And he chooses a random cave, and it just so happens that is the cave that David and his men are hiding in. So imagine their fear, knowing that Saul is now coming after them, and seeing Saul from the inside of the cave. Man, that looks like Saul. Dude, that is Saul. And he gets closer and closer, and finally, Saul enters their cave. Imagine, for that purpose. And think of the details. Oh, we don't need to know this. You know, why is Saul, why do we have this particular deal? Why, why do we need to know why Saul is in there? But the thing that's amazing to me is that every detail matters. Every detail matters. And I think sometimes in our life we get to a place where we say, God, why, do, why am I having to go through this? Why is this detail in my life? Why is everybody else at my work going through having no problems, no adversity. Their life is great. They have money in the bank. They drive nice cars. They have nice families. They have nice homes. And I'm the one over here struggling. God, why am I having to go through this? Why am I having this detail in my life? Every detail matters. Remember, 
Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together. I think as we go into the Christmas season, we were making eggnog last night at our house. And uh, if, you know how, if you want to know how to make eggnog, we can t- I, can, I can tell you. And I don't know how to make it, but I can tell you because I watched really good for two hours last night doing this. Stirring, stirring, stirring. 160 yet? Yep, there it is. All right, pull it off. And uh, so, so we don't have scrambled eggs but uh, in eggnog. But, so as you drink tomorrow night, you're welcome. Uh, but uh, drink eggnog. That, that, it's not that kind of eggnog, okay? It's not that kind of Christmas party. Uh, but as I'm stirring eggnog, as I'm stirring eggnog, thinking about, you know, I don't like eggs. I'm not going to eat a raw egg. This is not rocky, okay? I'm not going to down a raw egg. Uh, I like milk. That's good. Um, I'm not necessarily wild about vanilla extract by itself. Now that's, I'm, I'm not really crazy about the salt by itself. Uh, all these different elements by themselves. I don't want them by themselves. They're not good. They don't taste good. I don't enjoy them. But if you mix all those elements together and heat them up to 160 degrees and then put in all your nutmeg and all your spice and all these different things and you chill that same thing that you just put all those ingredients together, man, I'll drink that really good eggnog. That's really good. But it takes all of those things worked together to become good. And sometimes in our life, it's like, man, I don't like this and I don't like this and man I would change this but when you take all of those things and you work them together God does something good but we've got to be able to see it not just complain about it right that's not fair you know what life isn't fair but God is still good even when life isn't fair we see that They're in this cave. This has gone from bad to worse. All of a sudden, there are 3,000 chosen warriors outside of their cave. There's 600 men, which makes you wonder, how big is the cave? There's 600 guys inside this cave. There are 400 chairs in this auditorium. You think about the fact that this is a bunch of people. This is a big cave. And all of a sudden, they're outnumbered. They're in this cave together. This is not good, but God is getting ready to work it out for their good if they would just see it. John Newton said, trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician prescribes because we need them. And he proportions the frequency and weight of them to what the case requires. Let us trust in his skill and thank him for his prescription. Let, him, let us trust him for his skill and thank him for his prescription. What a great ch- chance for David to get Saul once and for all. Uh, David, God has finally allowed you the opportunity to get Saul. What a great choice. What a great chance. These men are encouraging him. Hey, look at verse number 4. Uh, verse, verse number four. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy in thy hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good to thee. This is it. Finally, David, you can take care of Saul once and for all. And it looks like David is going to do it. Then David arose, takes his sword out, creeps up to Saul, and just cuts off a piece of his outer robe. 
That's all he does. And then walks away. Can you imagine all those guys in the back salivating? You know, we're getting ready to see. I want to see the blood. You know, they're all excited. Man, we're getting ready to see it. And he comes back with just a little piece of cloth. That's it. What a major letdown. You ever watched one of those movies? Maybe on Hallmark. Watch one of those movies and you feel like you just wasted your life. (laughs) Uh, Feel like, man, I just wasted an hour and a half. Uh, some, Some of our... Our friends would say that about Nacho Libre, uh, but, uh, which is a great move, by the way. Uh, but, uh, you know, wasting our life. Uh, but you think about these guys are like, all right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Oh, what are you doing? And he comes back with just this little cloth. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know why he pursues, what he's doing, what's going through his mind as he's approaching Saul. Maybe he's thinking about, the story he'd heard from 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Remember when Samuel shows up and Saul has disobeyed the Lord and Saul had disobeyed Samuel's command? And remember when Samuel is telling Saul, this is bad, you've disobeyed the Lord. Saul makes excuse, excuse, excuse. And then when he turns to walk away, Saul reaches out and grabs onto Samuel's garment. Look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. All of a sudden, Saul reaches out, grabs anything he can to stop Samuel, and rips his garment. Rips it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, And hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Maybe this is what's going through David's mind. I'm going to go up and I'm going to symbolically show Saul what he saw years ago. I'm going to remind Saul of what Samuel said. I'm going to show him, aha, this is the moment that Samuel was talking about, Saul. Only one problem. It wasn't David's place. It wasn't David's place. And something David thought about convicted him. Look at the end of verse number 5. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. You shouldn't have done that, David. That was wrong. Because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Look at what he says, verse 6. He said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. The Lord's anointed. Smote him. This was not David's place. He was convicted of his actions. Regardless of David's anointing, yes, I'm going to be the next king. But right now, Saul is the king. Right now, Saul is God's anointed, not me. I know that I'm going to get that place one day. But only when God says so. Not when I say so. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Not in your timing, in his timing. Man, David could have gone and killed Saul and started his monarchy, but it wasn't God's time. He could have gone and started everything and said, Yes, I have opportunity, but it wasn't his time. He still had things he had to learn. 
And just because you and I don't get a breakthrough when we want it to happen doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It's just not time. It's just not time yet. And David was going to get the throne. God made that promise. He knew it was coming, but it wasn't time yet. So here's the question tonight, church. Can you wait on him? If he gives you opportunity to have that breakthrough when you want it, but what if you miss out on what God is trying to teach you along the way? You think about the children of Israel. If they had not spent 40 years in the wilderness, what would they have missed out on? Number one, they would have gone into the land of Canaan with the wrong leader. Moses was not a warrior. Moses was a politician. Joshua was a warrior. And what did they face over and over and over? Did they face political summits in Canaan? No, they had battles again and again and again and again. They needed the right leader. And what had to take place for that right leader to be exalted in God's time? Time. Time. Forty years of time. Just one example. So the next time we want to step back and we want to hurry up, God. All right, God, I, I got this opportunity right here. Just because you have opportunity doesn't mean that it's the right time. I'll never forget and John's not in here tonight, and I think Alina's in discipleship. John and Alina, who we all love, came in for a job interview almost five years before they actually moved here. Five years. The Lord gave opportunity, opened it up, but through circumstances, it wasn't God's time. And some things that both of us had to learn along the way. Could we have moved then? Could they have moved then? Yes. But I know that they would testify and say it wasn't his time. And it wasn't our time, church. And we think about all these golden opportunities that we look and say, man, that has to be God. But what if it's not right now? Just because you can right now doesn't mean that you should right now. We wait for the Lord to open up opportunity when He wants it to be open. Not when we want it to be open. But it was also a time for David to teach others a valuable lesson on waiting on God. Look back at verse number 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing. Unto my master the Lord's anointed to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Look at verse 7. So David stayed his servants with these words. He told them what God had done in his heart, and it settled theirs. Hang with me. How many times does God do a work in our hearts, and we miss out on an opportunity to help someone else? God allows us to experience things in our life to be an encouragement and a help to other people. To be a blessing to other people. Hey, when's the last time that 
you walked in on a conversation of someone struggling and the Lord kind of touched your heart of, hey, tell them where you're struggling. Tell them how I was faithful in your life. Tell them how I helped you then. Those are the times when we need to speak up, church. Hey, you know what? This, I'm sure this is a hard time, but let me tell you about what God did for me. Because I know this feeling. And don't ever say, I know what you're going through, because we don't. But, hey, I know this feeling. I have felt this feeling before. And, and let me tell you what God did for me. You just might give somebody just enough to hold on one more day. You might give somebody just enough to hold on another week. Just long enough to see their breakthrough. But if you stay silent, what if that person quits? Hey, that's not good. We've got to be willing to encourage with words. David's words calmed their spirit. Exactly what they needed. They came, he comes back and they're like, what are you doing? What did, you just had it, you blew it. And David said, I didn't blow it. Not in that regard, but I did blow it. Hey, I made a mistake. I, should, I never should have done that. And this is why. And he stayed them with his words. This is an opportunity. An opportunity. But then number two, we see the objection. Look at verse number eight. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and cried after Saul saying, My Lord, the king, this is a risky move. Do you realize they're outnumbered and they're in a cave pinned into a corner? If this doesn't go well, this is going to end really bad. David is exposing his position to the person who wants him dead. He waits for him to get down far enough away and speaks to him. Verse 9, And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Hey, why are you listening to people, Saul, that are telling you that I'm out to get you? Here's proof in the opposite direction. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into my hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord anointed. Uh, moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, neither, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. I had opportunity. And I didn't. Saul, you be the judge. You're a soldier. You're a warrior. If you had opportunity to take out your enemy, wouldn't you take it? Yeah, Saul was doing it right now. He's in the middle of hunting David. And David said, if the shoe was on the other foot, Saul, wouldn't you have taken my life? And yet I spared you. Why are you hunting me? And this had to be God working because he accepts what David says. He goes with it. It was an act of submission that spared Saul's life. But he's also asking Saul to do the exact same thing. Look at verse number 12. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. He was saying, hey, Saul, I spared the Lord's anointed, and I'm asking you to do the exact same thing. 
Because Saul already knows at this point that he is the Lord's anointed. He knows that David is going to be the next king over Israel. 1 Samuel 23, 17. Remember, Jonathan told him. He said, Thou shalt be king over Israel. I'll be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. He knows it. He knows that you're going to be the next king. So David is asking Saul to spare the Lord's anointed. David has shown mercy when Saul did not deserve it. And how many times in our life do we not show mercy? How many times do we get mercy, yet we don't show mercy? We've been shown mercy by our Heavenly Father. But how many times do we want vengeance or justice? You know, how many times did Saul been given a chance to repent and he didn't? How many times are we given a chance to repent and we don't repent? Remember, the mark of a true believer is faithfully following the commands of our Savior. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. F.B. Meyer said, don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. The little things. Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. See, think about this. Don't worry about being tasked with the big things if you won't be faithful in the small things. Because if you're not faithful in the small things, you don't ever have to worry about there being big things. Because the Lord allows us opportunity based on our faithfulness. He rewards us based on our faithfulness. And if we're not faithful in the small, don't expect it to be any bigger. We need to be faithful in those little things. The big opportunities may never come, but we need to be faithful in those small things. The next point, number three, is the observation David told Saul and the men what lengths he was willing to go in honoring the anointed one. Made the claim even though Saul wasn't willing to do the same. Now, how many times are we capable of rising to the challenge and we fall short? Saul has a choice. Not only has he seen the actions of David, but his men are now well aware of it. Look at verse number 16. It came to pass when David made an end of speaking these words unto Saul that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He is moved with what has happened. He's convicted. He's just proved that he wasn't Saul's enemy. Even though Saul thought that, Saul had just observed grace. And he's overwhelmed by it. You know, I wonder how many times we think about the grace that's been given to us. How many times it's just old hat now. Doesn't move us anymore doesn't overwhelm us, doesn't excite us. You know, we sing about amazing grace, and it's like, amazing grace. And it's just like, man, I've sung this song a thousand times, and it just doesn't affect me anymore. But it should. How many times have we been shown grace, and it's just like, eh, whatever. But grace, is it still precious? Is it still move us, overwhelm us, or is that feeling worn off? Saul is experiencing grace here. 
Notice that these words weren't forced. They seemed to be sincere. Now, we know that Saul's going to go back on his word, as he did many times. But he had an opportunity. We see, lastly tonight, the obedience that's mentioned. Verse number 20. And now, Saul speaking, here closing out this thought, Now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. The only thing Saul asks for is, don't be like me. Don't be like everybody else. Any other king that becomes king tries to destroy out tries to wipe out the monarchy that was previous, so there's no attempts on the throne. There's no love for the previous monarch. And here he says, hey, just spare my family, David. When I'm gone, spare my family. Saul had no problem eliminating everybody else's families, but when it came to his own, he wanted them to be safe. He already knew the relationship that Jonathan had with David. He knew that. But he's trying to protect it. And David honored this. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, after David is king, this is long past when David is king. In 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 1, David is sitting in his palace and asks a question. He said, is there any yet left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember this? The story of Mephibosheth. How this lame son of Jonathan is the only surviving member of Saul's family. The only one still left. And David says, hey, go and get him. Mephibosheth, paraphrasing Mephibosheth, comes to the palace thinking he's going to die comes asking to be David's servant, all this stuff. And in verse number 7, David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will store thee all the land of Saul thy father. Now, the, the reason that I point this out, and we'll close with this thought, is that Saul says, I'm so sorry, David, with tears, you're right, you're more righteous than I am. I'll never do this again. I ask you to forgive me. Please spare my family. And he leaves. Two chapters later, what is Saul doing again? Hunting David. Goes back on his word. This would be a golden opportunity. Talk about opportunity. For David to say, if you're going to go back on your word, I'm going to go back on my word. I don't have to honor you, Saul. I negate the promise that I made. I'm going to wipe out all your family. But here, David shows kindness to the last living relative of Saul. And then takes it a step further. I'll show you kindness for Jonathan's sake. I'm going to restore all the land of Saul. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of implies to me that David is saying, hey, Mephibosheth, why don't you just come and live with me? Why don't you just come stay here forever? Let me take care of you. 
as if your father or grandfather were king. Let me take care of him. Do you think Saul would have done that? Not on your life. Not on David's life. But David said, you know what? I see that you're promising and going back, promising and going back, trying to kill me. I'm proving that I'm not trying to kill you, but yet you still, yeah, you apologize, but yet you go back on your word. Over and over and over, we see this back and forth. Yet David said, no matter what you do, Saul, it won't change what I'm going to do. And the observation here tonight for us is when people do us wrong, we're faced with a choice. We can act like they act. Well, man, you just wait till I get the golden opportunity. Man, I'm going to put the knife in and turn it. And man, I'm going to get right. And we go about our life like Saul, looking for the next opportunity to get even. Or we say, like David, I don't care if he tried to kill me six, seven, eight, nine times. I doubt very seriously that any of us in this room, maybe it might be an exception, but I don't think we go to work and expect somebody to be there trying to kill us. You probably need a new job. But think about David said, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to do what's right. And years later, when he's king, he didn't have to do this. Years later, he says, I'm going to honor my commitment that I made right here. I'm going to honor my word that I made to Saul. And I'm going to honor the grandson of the man who tried to kill me. Because it's the right thing to do. And in our life today, there will be many opportunities, more often than not, than we have opportunity to do the wrong thing. I'm going to just challenge us all tonight. When that opportunity arises, can we maintain our integrity even when others don't? Can I hold my tongue when others don't? Can I do the right thing when others don't? Can I look like and act like Jesus when others won't? That's the challenge. The question is, are we up for the challenge? Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the promises that we have. Lord, thank you for the examples that we have of just plain, ordinary, everyday people who love you and are focused on honoring you even when others don't. Doing the right thing even when others won't. Lord, help us to be like those people who, in the face of adversity, just say, you know what, this is the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. Even when it might be easier to do wrong, help us to be people who do right. Lord, we surely love you. Thank you for this example of David and Saul. and Thank you for the encouragement we have that we don't have to be like Saul. Lord, we can be like David. We can be like you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go to our prayer time at this time and take some prayer requests. and We'll share these. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brother David. Let me just highlight a couple of these.